0: please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Gaur Gopal Das. Gaur Gopal Das is a former Hewlett Packard engineer who joined the International Society for Krishna Consciousness as a monk in 1996 in India Since then, he's become a popular speaker and motivational coach, both on YouTube and giving public presentations all over the world. With Sounds True, Gore Gopal Das has written a new book called The Way of the Monk, How to Find Purpose, Balance, and Lasting Happiness. In this conversation, Gore is at the monastery in Mumbai, India. And I'm, of course, recording from my home in Boulder, Colorado. And what impressed me so much about Gore Gopal Das is his thorough contemporariness as a person. Even though he's a monk living in a monastery in India, he speaks so helpfully and intelligently about working with social media in an intelligent way, about how to manage our stress, and deepen our faith as a fully modern person. Here's my conversation with Gore Gopal Das. To begin with, Gore, can you tell us how and why you became a monk? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. My decision to be a monk was a journey, and the journey was a Combination of multiple things. Number one was I have always believed that every individual should be very, very satisfied in what they do in their life. They should find tremendous fulfillment in the nature of work they adopt. So I studied electrical engineering and I started working with Hewlett Packard HP, a very short stint. But then I did not find myself fitting into that role. Although I was good and decently good at my work at HP, but I didn't find it to be fulfilling. And I usually say that, you know, if you're kind of working for about eight hours a day, a conservative number, and if you work for like five days a week, that's about 40 hours a week. And if you're working for, let's say, about 50 weeks a year with two weeks of holiday, that would make 2,000 hours a year. And if you're working for about 45 years, that would make it about 90,000 hours of our life at our workplace. And that's about, on an average, about 10 years of our life we spend at our workplace. And a lot of people, they continue working in what they do because it pays them well and they're probably good at it, but not necessarily satisfied with what they're doing. So the first reason to make that shift for me was I did not want to spend my 90,000 hours doing something that I was good at, doing something that I was paid well for, but doing something that did not satisfy me, that did not fulfill me, that wasn't my passion, that wasn't my calling. So that was one of the first reasons I thought, hey, I, I definitely need to look for something that truly resonates with my soul, is in complete sync with my soul and my passion. So I started introspecting a little bit and what would that be if it's not uh, technology being at Hewlett Packard, what would that be? And and the answer that I got from within myself with a little bit of introspection and reflection was that I loved working with people and in terms of you know helping people with their life I loved uh, life sciences, uh, behavioral sciences. I loved uh, dealing with psychology. And when I I found that this is what I truly like and this is what would truly make me feel satisfied and make me feel myself, that is when I started exploring what path would I choose. So out of the many different paths, I thought there's a lot of people who are studying these different subjects from the modern perspective Uh, by going to universities and taking courses in these sciences, I thought, what if if I could get into ancient wisdom, you know, ancient wisdom from the East. I live in India. So what if I could uh, tap into the ancient wisdom of the monks, the sages, you know, the epics that were written in this country here. So uh, that is when then I decided, hey, okay, I must make my path now uh, in terms of, Uh, following my passion and my journey by connecting to the life of a monk and uh, living in a monastery, uh, trying to study under masters, teachers, gurus, spiritual leaders, and understanding from them uh, different dimensions of life. And then, of course, I also had uh, a little bit of a spiritual calling from within me as I grew up. And I think uh, put it all together, like wanting to be satisfied with what I do in my life, Uh, and then trying to study it in a monastery under masters, gurus, and and, uh, spiritual leaders, uh, also trying to pursue my spiritual calling, and then putting it all together, trying to see how I can share it with people and trying to impact their lives and make a positive difference in their life. But that's really how the journey kind of came about.
0: Tell me about that spiritual calling? Because I think plenty of people are not satisfied with the career they're in. That's pretty common. Yes. But to have yes. that kind of spiritual calling, I think, is yes. is not as common. So what does that feel like inside you? And how would you describe it? Yes.
1: Yes. I think uh, when I'm talking about a spiritual calling personally for myself, I was looking at uh, finding answers to questions which were probably larger than life, probably more than what uh, universities could answer. Like I had questions like, what happens to an individual when one dies? I had questions like, where did we originally come from? Where did we belong? Is the current life the beginning of our life? And is this when we leave this world, would that be the end of life? Is this the only life? Are there more lives? Are there more universes? You know, how are we connected in the macrocosm? How are we connected in the microcosm and how all of these answers could truly transform our life and make us live a life of uh, deep uh, joy, fulfillment and purpose and find that meaning in uh, all of these different uh, realities that are existing around us. So I think that's how my journey began in trying to find the answers to these questions, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this is where, Gore, you and I meet and also where the listeners of this podcast, Insights at the Edge, Mm -hmm. meet with you Mm -hmm. as well in those questions. Now, one of the things that's really unusual about you, we're going to keep talking about all the unusual things about you, is that Mm -hmm. here you are, you're a monk who became a YouTube sensation. You have something Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you're approaching 3 million subscribers to your YouTube channel. And you're known as Mm -hmm. one of the most famous monks in the world. How did you go Mm -hmm. from being, you know, just someone who decided they wanted to serve through living in a monastery and helping people, interacting Mm -hmm. with people, to becoming a Mm -hmm. YouTube sensation?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I always believed in this two lines that I heard from someone which said, you work not to impress, but to express yourself. And this person also said, you work to uh, work for a cause, not for an applause. So for me, it was trying to figure out my own journey, my own spiritual journey, uh, finding meaning in my own life, trying to have the taste of the pudding first before I could even try and share that with others. But first have taste the pudding myself, experience it myself. So when I was living in the monastery, I still am, uh, in my journey... Within the monastery, I was really trying to practice uh, meditation, practice study of the scriptures, practice learning under my teachers, practice uh, being with all my uh, comrades and friends in the monastery, in the ashram, and living a very spiritual uh, life. Now, while I was doing that, a voice within me was also telling me that I want to share it with others. You know, because when you experience something very deep, something very profound, something that transforms your life you also want to see if you could share it with others so their lives feel transformed and positive as well like if i watch a good movie or if you watch a good movie you want to tell a couple of your friends say hey, look this movie is really nice why don't you check it out or you go to a restaurant and you find something really delicious there you say why don't you check this restaurant out so we want to usually share our best experiences with people whom we love So having experienced the uh, upliftment that I felt from practicing my spiritual path, I started sharing it with a couple of people in the city, which is in Mumbai, with a couple of university students. And then a few of my talks were recorded by uh, these groups and they put it up on uh, YouTube and I didn't even have the slightest of idea, you know, and I usually use a lot of uh, humor in my talk. so somebody took a joke out of context and circulated that joke on WhatsApp. And that joke went viral. That particular video clip went viral. But then people started taking jokes out of context from the talks that were uploaded on YouTube by some other groups. And then uh, I was wondering if that's my image. You know, it's I had used humor to make a very deep and a very profound point that would inspire my audience to take life more seriously. And that's really what the purpose of humor was. But then people started taking these clips out of context and it kind of seemed that I'm just cracking some jokes, although I'm a monk. So then uh, I had a friend of mine who was a social media consultant. I spoke to him and I said, this is what's happening. He said, because you're not putting any content out there consciously from your side. So he said, why don't you start a channel on YouTube and start a Facebook page, an Instagram account, and start consciously posting stuff out. So that's when people will know that here's a place where anything that anybody wants to know, what Gorgopal Das wants to say, they know here's the place to go. So about three years back, I would say we started this journey, consciously started these uh, the channel, the Facebook page, the Instagram account, and all other social media handles, And uh, yeah, that's where it started from. So it was basically uh, wanting to share my experience to groups of students. And then somebody posted it on YouTube, and that's how the journey began. And now we took it up uh, more consciously and started working on it. And that's the journey. Yeah.
0: Now, Gaur, you said something interesting. You said that when you joined the monastery, the first thing was to taste the pudding. You know, an interesting phrase to have your own experience before you start telling other people about it. Tell me what the pudding tastes like. Yes.
1: So when I talk about that pudding, it's kind of an outside-in experience. Spirituality is primarily, I feel, an inside-out experience that you truly feel it inside and then you, uh, you kind of, it reflects in everything else outside in your life but i feel that journey begins outside in so when i joined the monastery i came in here there were things like a very disciplined life waking up at certain times in the morning you know going to bed at certain times in the uh, evening uh, eating at certain times eating certain kinds of food uh, sitting in certain postures when i meditate you know praying in certain ways reading in certain ways it's, talking with a certain sense of sobriety. So all of these things were the outside uh, aspects of discipline. And the first taste of uh, Mm -hmm. the pudding was just in following these things externally. I came from a uh, family where I was kind of a pampered boy. Uh, Everything that I asked for was, was given to me. You know, I never ate anything in at home, which you know, which like I, I, whatever I requested was made. And if I, uh, if they didn't make it, I wouldn't eat it. So I was kind of a very pampered boy. And here I come into the monastery and I see, hey, uh, there's a lot of discipline here. Right? I, I need to eat what is given to me. I can't demand now. It's mon- It's a monastic order. So this is a community kitchen and the same kind of meals are cooked for everybody. So I didn't have a choice in there. Then I come in here and I, I had just finished my graduated from university, studied electrical engineering, worked for Hewlett-Packard, and then I come in here uh, thinking I am a someone, and I find people who, here who had come from universities which were way better than mine, who had uh, corporate experience way better than mine. And uh, these people were also people who had now come to a certain level of spiritual depth. So so one was I tasted this kind of dependence externally in, in, in as as I came into the monastery, dependence on things whereas i could just get whatever i wanted at home and then i i i could i i had to kind of humble myself Um, like sometimes i say you know humiliation often comes before humility you know so it wasn't kind of humiliation humiliation but when i came in here i i came in with something in my head that i'm a someone and suddenly i'm surrounded by people who are not only professionally more qualified than me but also spiritually very evolved So, yes, I sensed a lot of dependence. I sensed a lot of humility. That was the first taste of the pudding. And uh, then as I started practicing my spiritual path, my mantra meditation, my chanting, as I started practicing study of these uh, books and these literatures, as I started listening to my teachers, my gurus, and applying the practices of meditation and the virtues that are needed to meditate uh, properly, that is when I started finding uh, a positive transformation, even internally. So it began outside and started reflecting within. The taste of the pudding internally, as I practiced all of these things were, I could uh, instantly sense a very strong feeling of calm. Earlier, I would get disturbed with little things. And when I started practicing these uh, these spiritual practices, adopting these spiritual practices, I could instantly feel a sense of calm. I started feeling that I'm able to take charge of my life. Usually uh, and often it happens to be that our mind takes charge of our life. But I started feeling that I'm slowly trying to now take charge of my mind and direct my mind to where I want it to be, and I felt that is one of the greatest power to be able to direct our mind and focus our mind to where we want it to be, rather than the mind directing us and taking us to a million places where the mind wants to go. So that was one of the tastes of uh, the internal tastes of the pudding that I could feel a sense of calm and a feel of uh, you know being in charge of the mind, taking charge of the mind. And also uh, a very deep sense of satisfaction and uh, a very deep sense of, uh, uh, I would say, joy, uh, which was coming from uh, connecting to my own self and connecting to powers beyond me. So this, these were my experiences, ex- beginning externally with uh, feeling dependent on facilities in the monastery, feeling humbled in the presence of evolved people around me, you know, and uh, feeling uh, a very strong sense of discipline here in the monastery, and then going much deeper into feeling uh, peace, feeling satisfaction, and uh, also feeling that uh, kind of taking charge of your mind and directing your mind to where you want it to be.
0: Now, you know, uh, Gaur, in preparing for this conversation, I watched mm-hmm. several of your uh, video teachings. And mm-hmm. what I found in your presence was an incredible mm-hmm. positivity. I think that would be the word mm-hmm. I would use. I felt like mm-hmm. I was injected mm-hmm. with this uplifting positive energy. Mm-hmm. And as you're talking mm-hmm. about taking charge of your mind, the question that occurs to me is what do you do when you feel negative, when you don't mm-hmm. like what's happening? Perhaps you're perceiving something in the outside world that is unjust and you have a lot of mm. negativity about that or other things. Yeah. What, what do you do with that when you feel it?
1: Yeah. 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 I think uh, one of the greatest assets that each one of us possesses is the power to choose. I truly do not think that there is any uh, any greater power that any human being can have than the ability to choose how he or she feels, Uh, there's a natural tendency to be consumed by negativity. There's a natural tendency to be uh, overwhelmed with the negative surroundings, the negative situations, the negative happenings in our life. It's just natural. Uh, That's kind of our conditioned state. We've got so conditioned to getting consumed by negativity that sometimes we feel that we have lost the power to choose being positive. Uh, like when I, when I was in New York uh, last year, I went to see this Broadway show and at the Minskoff Theater, I saw The Lion King. And one of my favorite scenes from The Lion King is when Rafiki, the mystic healer, takes uh, Simba to this reservoir of water to have Simba meet his uh, deceased father. And the spirit of his father talks to him. And the spirit of his father, uh, I believe his name is Mufaza, tells his son Simba, you are Simba. Remember who you are. Remember the power that you are invested with. There is a scar who's taken over the rule of the kingdom. And as powerful a scar is, you have the inherent and the innate ability and the power to fight scar. And Rafiki is that gentleman who... Who's kind of the person who brings Simba to meet Mufasa, who reveals to Simba the power that he had? So I feel when I saw that that Broadway show, it kind of I had goosebumps because each one of us has a Simba within us. Each one of us has tremendous ability and power within us to be able to choose what is right, to be able to choose positivity. But negativity seems to be like scar. This line was taken over, you know, and for such a long time. And sometimes we, like Simba, in the company of, uh, I believe what the name is, Pumba and Tyman, I think, you know, kind of forget that, hey, I have that power to be able to choose being positive. So I think it is very, very crucial to understand that we are more powerful than the situations that we go through. We are more powerful than the negative emotions that overwhelm us. We are more powerful than the challenges that confront us on a day-to-day basis in our lives. So we have that ability to choose positivity. What happens is when we don't spend time on ourselves, when we don't spend time connecting to ourselves, when we don't spend time disconnecting from uh, the digital world, disconnecting from the social world around us, then we lose that ability to choose being positive. I think negativity is automatic. Being positive is a choice that we have to make. Hatred is automatic. Loving someone is a choice that we have to make. Anger is automatic. Keeping our mouth shut and being peaceful and being kind is a choice that all of us have to make. Misery is automatic, but happiness is a choice that we all have to make. So uh, in the book, The Way of the Monk, I tell the story about how my spiritual teacher, Radhanath Swami, uh, told me this interesting thing that I'd gone to talk to him about something and I complained to him about a lot of negative issues that were going on in the monastery and i was so absolutely negative i'm just, i'm in the monastery i've been practicing spirituality i've been practicing meditation but the worst of me kind of took over and i was so absolutely bitter and negative i entered into his room and he was calm peaceful sitting in this upright posture and uh, i started telling him about all the issues in the monastery and i went on for like 45 minutes you know ranting and raving about all of these issues that were going on. Not a single positive thing. And then after I was done for 45 minutes, I'd spoken, he asked me, so are you done? I said, yeah. He said, can I say something? And then for the next 45 minutes, he went on to describe all the positive things that were happening in the monastery, and they were real as well. And then he said to me, I'm not at all saying that the issues that you mentioned to me right now are not real. They are issues. They're definitely there. And we should definitely deal with them. But we shouldn't be consumed by them. We should deal with our negative issues. We shouldn't be consumed by the negative issues. We should rather be consumed by the positive things that are happening in our life. And he said to me, and that's a choice that we all will have to constantly make. So I feel being positive is a choice. And in order to start making that choice, the the few steps that we need to uh, adopt in our lives is number one, we have to start consciously bringing our attention to the positives. And uh, gratitude is one of those ways to do it. So writing a gratitude journal or slowly then moving from the journal to just practicing gratitude, just consciously within ourselves. So that brings our attention to the positive things. Uh, I think another way to do it is to regularly just be disconnected from Uh, the social world, the digital world on a regular basis, we practice that and we connect to our own selves. So when we connect to our own selves, we're actually connecting to the Simba within us. We are powerful. And when we connect to ourselves, that spiritual connection empowers us to make that choice. But in summary, I think it's a choice that we will constantly have to make uh, to stay positive in the middle of all the negativity that is around us. Uh, And of course, positive company helps as well. If we are in the company of those who are positive, that positive company can also kind of uh, rub on us and we ourselves start practicing that journey of being positive. But uh, in a nutshell, it's a choice that we will constantly have to make.
0: Can you put under a magnifying glass and tell me a situation, maybe even recently, where you saw, oh, this is a moment of choice. This is a moment of choice for me. And instead of going down a path of being, you know, a hyper judgmental or critical or seeing what's wrong in this situation, I'm going to choose something different. Give us an example from your own life recently even.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, recently the monastery where I I stay, I I have also been a part of the management here and we are in a strict lockdown here Mumbai is, has a lot of uh, cases here, in in the whole country. Mumbai is one of the third largest cities uh, where the coronavirus is like really rampant and spread like wildfire. So, in the temple management, there has been this ongoing debate. The lockdown, the state government has kind of relaxed the lockdown a little bit. It's eased it, eased it out a little bit. So there has been this ongoing debate that can we also Relax it. So there have been two uh, schools there. One is the old school, which is like very conservative, saying, No, we better kind of keep it strict. We better kind of keep it, you know, uh, uh, very rigid because once you open it out, we are exposing ourselves to a massive risk. We are 150 monks living in here. One gets infected, and then it's kind of, you know, is uh, going to get infected and affected by it. And then there's the more liberal uh, kind of uh, group in the management who said, well, that's true, but we can still go out and we can still, uh, you know, uh, practice all kinds of uh, safety precautions and uh, the proper protocols. And I think we should be fine. And I was a little bit on the liberal side, uh, not because I wanted to go, but I saw a couple of our monks who were like, it's been three months, not just. None of us have stepped out of the gate of the monastery gate of the ashrams. So it's three months indoors, and it's kind of a very closed space. We don't have that much space in in here. So I was a little bit on the liberal side, saying, "Okay, uh, we should kind of allow people to, you know, uh, move out with proper precautions, with face masks and all of that stuff." And uh, I've spent a lot of time here. It's been over, kind of getting 25 years now. And uh, obviously, being kind of a senior person here in the management and in the monastery, I felt uh, my words would have that, uh, you know, impact. But uh, the vote was not at all in my favor. Majority of uh, the members of the management decided that, hey, uh, well, we should be on the stricter side, and then. At that point of time, I felt, hey, wait a minute, I spent so much time here and uh, I have uh, given my life to try and serve the uh, monastery, the people here and to uh, bring spirituality to the people on behalf of my monastery here. And I've done everything possible to uh, make things good. And I wasn't kind of being unreasonable. I was saying, okay, we will have all the safety precautions and only go to those areas which are allowed. We won't just roam around the city. And there I felt, you know, these negative emotions that, oh, are they trying to control me? Oh, okay. Uh, uh, After having done all of this, is this what I get back? You know, and then at that point of time, I decided to uh, tune into my ability to choose. i practiced that over the years. And simply uh, practicing this over the years doesn't mean that negative emotions don't overwhelm us. Whether you we are a monk or whether we are a corporate professional, whether we are a spiritual practitioner, whether we are just someone living in the world out there, whoever we are, even if we practice this, there are going to be times where our mind uh, plays games and takes us into the downward spiral of negativity and negative emotions, whatever that may be, being, feeling humiliated and therefore all kinds of negative thoughts coming out of that, whatever those thoughts may be. So at that point of time, because I've practiced it for a long time, consciously I decided to Choose being positive and start looking at the uh, silver lining around the cloud. Yes, the stricter side. What are the merits in being strict? Can I focus on that? Uh, What are the the things I can see in this particular situation for me to learn, you know, that, okay, I'm a part of a team and I, although externally I did play, I did be, I was a team player and I did kind of go, go ahead and say, yes, we'll do it. We'll be on the stricter side, we'll be on the more conservative side. But inside, I was still kind of feeling, uh, why are they saying this to me? And uh, that is when I, I uh, chose to you know, be positive and see the positive side uh, of the entire decision. And uh, uh, happily so, uh, we are doing very well. The management is very strict, so we are very, very safe indoors here. And uh, I learned my lesson as well, that yes, uh, things don't always go your way and you have to learn to adjust. You have to learn to make certain compromises. You have to learn to value relationships. So I chose to focus on that side and say, okay, fine, no problem. I could have put my foot down and I could have insisted. I could have kind of fought it out a little bit. But no, I said, okay, we, we, we will look at it from this perspective. You know?
0: mm-hmm. Well, that's a great story, Gore, and it makes it totally real for me and for, I, I think, our listeners as well. The question yeah. I have is when you make that choice, How do you not take the resentment you feel or whatever you want to call it, the bitterness, whatever that might be, and bury Mm. it somehow in your unconscious? Mm. So on the Mm. surface, Mm. you've chosen to kind of go along with the group, but underneath it, actually, you're kind of bearing a grudge of some kind. How do you not do that?
1: Yes. I think a couple of things there. Uh, Number one is using our rational thinking and reasoning like in the particular uh, case that i spoke about i used my ability to reason to see that okay i was i was uh, proposing a certain uh, line of thought a certain way and, and they were proposing a certain way and then um, i reasoned it out saw all the merits you know so all what they had to say so it's not about whether they are right or i am right it's about what is right very often we get so caught up between who is right that we forget what is right. So so I kind of reasoned it out in my mind that rather than saying who is right, let me focus on what is right. And with a little bit of uh, uh, deeper thought given to this particular subject, I, I realized that they had a lot of uh, positive things that were saying, not that I didn't have a few. Uh, my, my proposal had a couple of merits as well. There's pros and cons to both. But what they were saying had a lot of pros. It was in the interest of our community. And if we would have kind of, you know, uh, given way and uh, one person would have gone out, you know how it is. Once we get that leeway, people kind of take liberties, people uh, drop their guards, and it's so easy to then get affected by what's going on in the world around us. So, So step number one was definitely, definitely reasoning. So one way to deal with the resentment in our heart, inside our minds that we bury, uh, the resentment that we bury in our minds and our hearts because of uh, what we had to go through is to reason it out. And if we can find good reasons, brilliant, brilliant. Like I I did find good reasons. I went along with whatever everybody else uh, decided and chose. And uh, then I kind of reasoned it out and I did find great reasons. Which is why I said, okay, no, nothing to, there's nothing to hold in my mind and my heart because it's for the benefit of our entire community. So it's not about who is right, but what is right. And when I'm asking what is right, this is right. So that's one way to look at it. But then there's also situations where uh, when I try to reason it out, I don't really find uh, points which kind of are convincing to me, you know. In this case, I did find things which were convincing, so it was easy to get over the resentment in my heart. But when I don't find those reasons, when I don't find those pointers, you know, then what do I do? How do I deal with that resentment? So uh, I, I usually recommend speaking your heart out to someone who's close to you, someone who's a friend, someone who's trustworthy. And really opening your heart out because we have to sometimes just go by the decision that everybody's made. But I'm, I'm harboring those negative feelings. And because I'm harboring those negative feelings, I'm tremendously punishing my own self. My mental space is occupied by so much negativity and so much trash. That same space could have been utilized for something more constructive, for something more meaningful. But my mental space is now occupied by this resentment, these grudges, right? So I, I feel it's, it's a great idea to even express ourselves to somebody, to speak our heart out. That helps us release that negative energy, you know? Uh, we cannot destroy energy, but we can release that energy. We can vent out that energy. I also recommend, oftentimes, journal writing. You know, when when we just just write our feelings out, and and not uh, sometimes I even say not to really type it on a phone or on a laptop in a file, but to actually write with a pen on a piece of paper because it's like feeling the transfer of that energy, and 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 pour out the feelings of our heart. Uh, uncensored, unedited, you know, just the way they are, whatever I feel, I'm just kind of letting it all out. And just to bring all of that out itself makes us feel a lot lighter. Now, that's number two. Number three is, I would try and shift my attention, like I earlier on said, to uh, make the choice to shift my attention to uh, the more positive things that are happening around me, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like, uh, if I cannot minimize the negative noise within me, can I maximize the positive noise within, positive voice within me? You know, There's a lot of negative noise that's going on in my mind. And I, I feel very helpless. I feel very overwhelmed in terms of uh, minimizing that internal negative noise. So when I feel that helplessness, can I start maximizing my spiritual voice? or my positive voice internally. So can I start watching something that will uplift my spirit? Can I start reading something? Can I start doing some service to somebody? Can I start practicing kindness? Can I start uh, expressing my love, my affection, my, my genuine feelings to someone, you know? Or can I start practicing gratitude even in a deeper way? So what I'm doing is, I'm feeling helpless with this negative noise, but I'm trying to now maximize and increase my positive voice. Now, as I increase that positive voice, my negative noise starts seeming smaller. It's not gone away; it's still there, but it started to now seem smaller. It's like when I take a flight. Uh, there may be a building. If I take a flight, if, if I take a flight from New York City, and I uh, the World Trade Center, is a massive building, 102, 103 three floors. And when I uh, take a flight. On at the ground level, it's overwhelming, massive, huge. You know, it it, it it's like uh, uh, daunting the size of the building. But when I take a flight and my flight starts gaining altitude, as I go start going higher, the building still remains exactly the same in size. But because I have risen above it, it starts becoming smaller to me. So what 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 I mean by increasing my uh, positive voice is to start gaining internal altitude by the early things that i mentioned whether it's service whether it's uh, gratitude whether it's uh, you know reading something or or uh, watching something uplifting so that's like taking that flight and r- 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 increasing our altitude in which case we start seeing the inner resentment and those negative feelings to be small although they may not have necessarily gone away and then the fourth thing i also suggest is our spiritual practices those spiritual practices they're not just kind of uh, helping us gain altitude but beyond gaining that altitude they're also helping us slowly heal that resentment you know heal heal those negative emotions internally so these are the 3 4 things that uh, i would do when i have hold those feelings or uh, harbor those negative feelings in my mind number 1 i would reason it out to see, you know, if uh, what the other people did to me actually had made sense. And if it did, then it's not about who's right, but it's about what is right. Number two, I would uh, express myself. Express myself and feel lighter. I would express what I'm going through, either by speaking to someone who's close to me or by uh, writing my feelings out uh, and journaling them out. Uh, number three, I would uh, gain an inner inner altitude by taking that inner flight, whether it's reading or, or to watching something positive or through serving or doing something good for someone, uh, what I'm really trying to do is increase my positive voice or so the negative noise, although it exists, will start becoming smaller and won't disturb me that much. And number four, uh, I would definitely recommend a spiritual practice, which wouldn't just make my negative noise smaller, but would slowly start healing it. And uh, thereby kind of, you know, uh, cleansing my inner mind, cleansing my inner state of consciousness. So that's what I would uh, uh, do.
0: You know, listening to you, uh, Gore, reminds me of a quote that I found from your work that's quite well distributed on the Internet. Powerful quote. Feed your faith and all of your doubts will starve to death. And I know that you're part of the Society of Krishna Consciousness. And I wanted to know a little bit more. When you say something like feed your faith, what what is it that you have faith in? Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I think when we're talking about faith, we are talking about it begins with faith in ourselves. Uh, We talk about terms. we use terms like self-confidence. So uh, we, we, the first thing we're talking about is faith in our own selves. And uh, faith in our own selves would uh, be like what I was earlier on mentioning, that we are invested with tremendous power. We are Simba. There's a Simba within us. You know, We have the ability to overcome and deal with a lot of scars around us. Uh, we are, this, we are uh, extremely powerful. So that's kind of having faith in our own selves. So when we say have faith in yourself and your fears or your doubts will starve to death, we have to begin with having faith in our own selves. We have to start with having faith in our own abilities, in our own uh, capacity to handle the challenges and the problems that are around us. So that's the first aspect of faith. Uh, uh, moving on from faith in our own selves is we now start having and investing faith in people. Uh, we, we know that, okay, I can I can deal with these things based on my own self. I can handle a lot of these things based on my own ability to deal with these things. But then we all are human beings and we feel overwhelmed, we feel helpless, we feel uh, affected by what's going on around us. And that's when uh, the second level of faith is faith in people, which is where relationships come uh, into the picture. So, we, we we invest our faith in people. And we invest our faith in people based on uh, their intentions, with, uh, their character, their integrity, uh, uh, how they are our well wishes how they are going to be there for us as a support system, how they are going to be there for us for uh, sharing our love and allowing them to share our love with us. So, we, we invest our faith in people and we know very often when we have felt very overwhelmed and when we have felt that this is just completely beyond me to handle very often we would just go to our, uh, our phones and go to our contacts and see if or, or naturally we would go to that one person or those few names who, whom we are very deeply connected to because we have faith over over a period of time by interacting with them, that every single time I have uh, opened up with someone, this person's support, this person's guidance, or this person's friendship has uplifted my spirit. So that's faith in relationships. So faith in myself, faith in relationships. Right? Then the third aspect is faith in life itself. You know, uh, When I talk about life, I, sometimes people say, you know, Uh, life is unfair, get used to it. And yet there are others who say, uh, life is unfair, start negotiating with it. And there's a million quotes out there, people have spoken so much about life. But as we live our own lives uh, and uh, get our own experience, get our own uh, realizations, get our own wisdom, get our own maturity, we start gaining faith in the journey of life. Like Steve Jobs said, connect the dots backwards. When he gave that Stanford speech, uh, when he was uh, chucked out of uh, Apple Incorporation, uh, for the, the number of years, whatever number of years he was away, rather than rather than taking it as a negative thing, he chose to be positive. But even at, at that point of time, he couldn't see where it was all going. He didn't know where it is all going. And at that point of time that he started Pixar, he started Next Animation, he got married to the love of his life, started a family and all of that happened at that point of time. And then at the Stanford commencement speech, uh, he said this, that at that point, I didn't know what was happening because you you can't see things forward. I can see things in the moment, but I can't see things forward. But looking at things in retrospect, I can see things backwards and connect the dots backwards. That gives me my experience. That gives me my realization. That gives me my wisdom. That gives me my maturity. And I start putting faith in the journey in the path of life that, yes, there is a silver lining around the cloud. Let me do things right. Let me uh, put my act together. Let me uh, give my 200% to what I'm doing. And even if things are not going my way at the moment, I've had experience in the past that things have unfolded in beautiful ways later so currently i can't see it but maybe in the future when i look at it in retrospect i may be able to see that this was so beautiful it's because of this that i'm who i am today so that's faith in life you know and then the fourth aspect is for those who believe believers then there is faith in higher powers some call it the universe some call it god some call it a force some call it an energy whatever you call it so people who uh, go to that level of belief that there is a power beyond me and above me, then also put their faith in those powers and connect to those powers and feel that kind of reliance upon those powers to help them find meaning, help them find uh, satisfaction and help them find a lot of uh, uh, support in times of uh, difficulty. So when I talk about the beauty of faith and your doubts will starve to death, these are the four things that I mean. Number one, it's faith in my own self because I have been invested with that power to deal with what I'm going. Through. Number two is faith in people in my relationships. Number three is faith in the path of life itself. And faith, number four is for those who believe. And even if somebody doesn't believe, the first three are always there. You know, The fourth is an add-on for those who are believers. And powers beyond and
0: above that. You know, as I was researching for this conversation, mm-hmm. you mentioned the conversation that you had in the book, The Way of the Monk, with your teacher, Radhanath yes. Swami. So I thought to yes. myself, who's Radhanath Swami? Never heard of him. Curious about that. And then I discovered that he's an American, that he was born in Chicago and lived that's in right. Miami for a period of time and then moved to India. And I thought, oh that's interesting. This person born in India, Gaur Gopal Das is studying with an American swami. And I wonder what, what you what what you think of that.
1: Yes, it's absolutely amazing. I uh, here in this country when I took to this path and I decided to study under Radhanath Swami some some of my distant family members were kind of saying uh, didn't you have enough spiritual gurus and leaders and monks in India, why did you have to choose an American guru or an American teacher to study Indian spirituality or Eastern, I wouldn't use the word Indian, but Eastern spirituality that's being practiced here in this country? Why would you go to an American person to learn? There's so many gurus and masters here in this country itself. Why why would you choose an American guru or a swami? So uh, I remember uh, answering that question to some of my distant family members. And I said to them, it's not really about Indian or American. It's not about uh, which part of the world someone is from. It's not about what socioeconomic status one is from. It's about the experience. It's about their their genuine uh, wisdom. It's about their, uh, uh, their spiritual qualities that you connect to an individual. And then I gave them an analogy that, you know, when you when you go to get treated from a doctor, you don't see what religion that doctor is from. You don't see what uh, nationality that doctor is from. If the doctor has the requisite qualifications and if the doctor can actually treat the malady, can treat the, the disease or the problem that you have, we really are not concerned so much about the external background that the doctor comes from. We're concerned about the treatment that the doctor offers. So when we're talking about spiritual leaders, when we're talking about gurus, when we're talking about spiritual guides and masters, we're really talking about the treatment that they can offer to us for healing our inside world, to for healing our hearts, our consciousness and our minds. And I found that in Radhanath Swami and there's so many here in India and so many around the world, so many masters, so many spiritual leaders who are extremely genuine and inspiring, you know in radhanath swami i found that instant connection it's it's a connection of the heart when you when you accept a spiritual teacher and a spiritual guide it's a connection of the heart you must feel uplifted by the teachings you must feel uplifted by the company the association you must feel impacted by that person's aura and i found that in radhanath swami and then i told this family members of mine just like a doctor i i would be concerned more about the treatment and how powerful the treatment is than the background uh, that the person is from. So, yeah, Radhanath Swami has been an incredible guide in this company. I've found uh, meaning in my life. His book, The Journey Home, is uh, an incredible read. His journey from America to India and his finding the Krishna consciousness uh, path here in India. It's a beautiful read. And the second book he wrote, The Journey Within, is a New York Times bestseller as well. Both books are absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, yeah.
0: Uh, before we end, Gore, just one more thing I want to talk to you about. One of the themes that I think runs throughout your book, *The Way of the Monk*, and also on your YouTube channel, is this notion of being of service and how powerful it is. There's another great quote of yours: "Takers can eat well, givers can sleep well." Beautiful, uh, memorable quote. Takers can eat well, givers can sleep well. Talk about this power of service, being of
1: service. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't think there's a substitute to personal experience. Like I was earlier mentioning the taste of the pudding is in eating it. And unless and until we can theorize, we can, uh, we can talk a lot about analyze the, subject of giving back, serving others, being kind to others. We can keep talking about it and analyze it and how it makes us feel, but it's still theory. We can see others do it. you know. We can see others do it. We can feel inspired uh, seeing others do it, whether it's through videos, whether it's through seeing people in our community uh, around us. We can feel inspired uh, by seeing that, but we still cannot have that experience. Uh, I feel uh, in order to really begin or magnify or even exponentially grow this aspect of giving and serving, we need to have that first-hand experience. And that first-hand experience is possible by beginning to serve. When we start, even if it's just so small, even if it's just so tiny, even if we can just make a difference in the life of one person, around us in even the smallest possible way, that positive experience that we feel in our soul, you know, impels us to do more. And that is how, uh, uh, it's a loop. That little thing that we start makes us do a little more. And then we get more, more fulfilling experience. And then that inspires us to do a little more. And then it's kind of an unending loop where we get into that mode of giving and serving. What is a habit? A habit is nothing but the positive experiences that we want to repeat again and again. What do we want to repeat? We want to repeat something that gives us pleasure. What do we want to avoid? We want to avoid those things that give us pain and agony or make us feel miserable. So why do people do something again and again and again? Because it's giving them fulfillment and pleasure. But it began at a certain point of time. And that's why they wanted to repeat that experience. So similarly, when we begin this aspect of giving, sharing, serving, but even if it's so minuscule, very, very tiny and small, and when we feel that, we want to repeat that experience. And the more we repeat it, it becomes a habit. It becomes a conditioning, a positive conditioning, which is so beautiful for us because we are living a life of meaning and true joy. And it's so beautiful for the world because we become instruments of kindness and compassion to the world. So yes, when we're talking about giving, uh, I don't think there is a substitute to personal experience. The taste of the pudding is in eating it. I can read about it. I can analyze it. I can see others doing it. But when I actually feel it, I repeat it. And then that experience is just absolutely beyond words. Yeah.
0: I've been speaking with Gore Gopal Das a monk living in Mumbai, India, who has written the book, an international bestseller now available through Sounds True. It's called The Way of the Monk, How to Find Purpose, Balance, and Lasting Happiness. Gore, thank you so much for the conversation and for spreading your light.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Tammy. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. SoundsTrue.com, waking up the world.